0: To another edition of Wake in the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. My name is Michael Singh, and as usual, we've got a ton to get to on today's show. If you guys are watching, you'll notice I got a new setup in my room, a new background. You know, taking us back to BMO Field because we are nostalgic there. So, gonna give you what we can. Um, but this whole setup, actually, it, it cost us, as you, you can tell. We're, we're down Mitchell Tierney we no longer it's just high salary because of the setup. So that's kind of the offset there. Um, Jeff, Jeff, what are your Go thoughts? Ahead. How you doing, man?
1: Well, I was going to I mean, you spoiled my joke. I was going to say Mike gets one dose and he's already back at BMO. Like, you know, like we want to be. So, uh, uh, no, looking good, buddy. Looking good. You got your, your Leafs hat on, uh, we can put you, you know, that green screen is going to come in handy when it's time to redo the, uh, the opening of the Michael Singh injury report. So, Long may, it, long may it rain.
0: Jeff's mind's already racing. You know he's coming up with a bunch of ideas.
1: I got um, ideas, man. That's me. Yeah,
0: there you go. On today's show, obviously, we're going to be joined by Ben Steiner, who is our Toronto FC2 beat reporter. And if you guys caught any of his work so far on Waking the Red, he's done some great stuff for us. So really excited to chat with him. We'll chat some top prospects. We'll chat TFC2's kind of new philosophy and the return of the young Reds. So we'll get into a little bit that uh, that a little bit more later on in the show. Um, before we start, it is the one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Of course, he was murdered by uh, Minneapolis police, and I think you know today's a, a good day to bring that back up because, of course, it is the one year anniversary, and we've had conversations about you know that space on our show about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how we are making strides towards making this this world a better place in general. Mm-hmm. And today's a a good reminder of that. This is one year ago where a lot of the outcry sort of started, and there has been a lot of positive that have come about it. But so there's much. Still, still a lot of work that needs to be done. So, just want to get the show started off on sort of that note. But mm-hmm. let's uh let's move on. Let's talk about some Toronto FC. Jeff, we <laughs> were on the we were on the post game show.
1: Yes, we were
0: on twitter spaces if you guys haven't caught it yet we host a kind of 30 minute an hour post game show on twitter spaces where we have you guys call in take some calls and you know hear what you guys have to say and sort of create some banter some back and forth conversation
1: there yep don't do disservice to the pre-game show as well which uh which mike newell does an excellent job hosting uh Hosting for us, uh, yeah, no, love the Twitter Spaces. It's fantastic. I've always wanted to be on a call-in radio show, so it's it's really fulfilling a need for me spiritually. Uh, I I super super dig it, and uh, yeah, I mean, well done piping in with the with the first comment of the day, and he says the only TFC related words we need to see. Uh, did he say here we need this week? So he didn't specify see or here, which is good. Uh, <laughs> pause pause in full training.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to that. that. Will, um, but let, let's let's talk a little bit about that match this weekend. Obviously, TR- mm-hmm. TFC losing one nothing to Orlando City. Um, Jeff, have your thoughts sort of shifted a little bit or changed at all from our post game show, or are you still feeling kind of the same way?
1: Uh, no. I mean, you know, time heals all wounds, so I don't think I'm as scorching hot magma as I was. Um, but yeah, no, I still feel the same way. It's just more of a dull thud now, as opposed to like a, a a tinnitus in my ears ringing, ringing away, making me (laughs) mental. Um,
0: what were your thoughts on the game?
1: What did I say that set you off? It was a shambolic mess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think my thoughts are still there, man. I, 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 you know, my one takeaway with, with the benefit of time now is that, you know, the thing that really bothered me was how hesitant some players were. Uh, you know, Richie Larea being, being the prime example. I'm not ready to call it a regression yet, but I don't like him being ponderous on the ball when he's making those blistering runs down the flank. And I think that that may be uh, indicative of the disconnect between his natural tendencies and the system that they're trying to instigate. Uh, And so I'm going to be looking out for that in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. That was a point you made I kind of made the counterpoint to that, and that was, uh, I think that just... He's growing as a player, yeah. Yeah, of a Richard Lorette growing as a player. He's reading different kind of avenues, different lanes. Um, but circling back to TFC as a whole there in that match, I didn't think they played that poorly. Mm. I thought the result, the one nothing result, didn't really reflect the overall feel of that game. There okay. are still clearly very like problems that are very evident in this TFC team. Like the fact that they can get beat with one ball easily, too often, Mm -hmm. that's that's a problem. They they can't be that easy for an opposition to break down your defense with just one pass. But overall, the feel of the game, I felt like TFC were kind of taking it to Orlando more often than not. And that could be as a result of Orlando getting that early goal of Tesho Akindeli. But I Mm -hmm. thought TFC were looked a little bit more dangerous than Orlando did on the night. Orlando did have the better chances overall, minus maybe that Jacob Schaffelberg... (laughs) howler that he missed um but i i still do think tfc dictated the tempo of that match and there were some positives still to take away from that match
1: would a counter argument be that once orlando got the goal they were happy to see possession to tfc's symbolic nonsense uh and as long as that as long as they covered jefferson uh they they didn't have to worry about anything
0: yeah i mean no, that's, a, that's a fair counter argument like i said if that could be a result of Orlando getting that first early goal um, and Mm -hmm. then sort of sitting back and allowing TFC to kind of dictate the play. But again, it's an early goal. So you still have to be in the balance of the game. You still have to be there competing for the rest of the 90 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think TFC did a good job sort of bouncing back. They were missing that final pass, which I mean, we talked about a bunch. Yes. That's Alejandro Pazuela more more often than not. Um, <laughs> so we're excited to see what he looks like looking up with the Efferson Soteldo. but it's it's not a it's not a good result. Like you, you those are games you want to win, if, mm-hmm. especially with with Pato and Nani out. Those are the games you kind of have to win if you want to be supporter shield contenders. So,
1: I think that ship is sailed. I don't think we're supporter shield contenders at this point. Um, Ivan brings up a really interesting point, and and. Uh, Call me crazy, but it seems like previous TFC teams had the confidence and motivation to come back when they were down a goal. Haven't seen that this year. Immediately, I'm thinking that's because we haven't gone down 1-0 in the first five minutes, which was a big, big, big problem last season. And I would argue maybe even the season before that, the last two years of Vanny, how many times did we concede a goal before everybody had gotten to their seats yet from from the, uh, you know, the cues for snacks back when the world was normal? Uh, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, Ivan. I, I usually, I usually agree with you, but but you know it's a it's a it's a different team, it's a different system, and they're not going down that early. So um, I don't know. What what's your take on that, Mike?
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I personally thought they showed a lot of fight and a lot of battle in Saturday's game against Orlando. I just there wasn't that end product. There wasn't that finish. Um, they came back against who was it? Uh, New York City FC They're the mm-hmm. last game before that where they scored a late equalizer right I yep. mean this is a team I don't think right now cause aside from the New York Red Bulls match the will or the you know the willingness to kind of be up for the fight that's not a question mark for me right now okay a lot of it right now comes down to tactics comes down to player usage and you know are you are you doing what you can to get the best out of your players? I said this That's on our it. post-game show. Yeah, yeah. But a problem for me right now is Chris Armist. of late at least, is trying to get his best 11 on the field. But he's not necessarily putting his best 11 in the best position to succeed. And two cases of that is the Aro Jr. in the middle of the park. You want mm-hmm. to get Aro, Richie Luray, and Kamar Lawrence all into the game but are we really setting this team up to succeed if RO Junior is playing central midfield? Mm-hmm. Are there better options for it? Like we, we talked about so often about how crowded that center of the park is for Toronto FC. And for me, it's kind of weird to see RO yep. Junior play a center of the park because yeah, they have jumping so up the depth
1: options. chart when there's a million guys on the bench. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I loved what you said uh, as a, uh, when you recounted what Armas said, which was he want, he didn't want to burn a sub, uh, but, you know, that's public knowledge now. So it was very, very surprising that he rolled that again in a game. Because yeah,
0: especially because Jonathan Osorio was back, right? Mm-hmm. I can understand when you don't have Mark Delgado, you don't have Jonathan Osorio. I can understand slotting RO there into the middle of the park. It makes sense at that point. Sure. But when you have both of those guys in your starting 11, Jonathan Osorio is going to play the number 10 because pause is out, so that's fine. But Mark Delgado on the right wing, again, what more does, do we have to see from Mark Delgado on the right wing to know that it's not working out?
1: Absolutely zero more attempts, <laughs> I
0: He's think. years here, here at mm. this club, how Mark Delgado can succeed, not just succeed, be amazing. Yeah. In the middle of the park there for Toronto FC with all of the work that he does. You talk about TFC being a pressing team, about a team that gets after people, gets their, sticks their foot in for a tackle. That's been Mark Delgado's identity for years for this club. And right now, he's not being put in a position to succeed. There are other yep. options you have there on your bench that you could have played at right wing, at right midfield. But mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't know. Nico's uh, commenting yep. here in the chat is, I would have put Salteldo as as or Cam and put Ozo on the wing, Aru in the middle. It has been great so far. I mean... Like he hasn't been bad. I, I even tweeted that out. I don't think Aro's been bad in the middle of the park. But I think it's not setting up the other players for success. Yeah. Like a set yeah. a Mark Delgado. He's he's become mm-hmm. um the person who has had to, you know, vacate his center of the park position because Aro's gonna be playing there as central midfield. Yeah. I don't think Aro's been bad again, but he doesn't come with a lot of high expectations there in the middle of the park. You don't you don't really rate him the same as you would rate a, a central midfielder. You kind of understand that he is a fullback playing center mid and you're kind of judging off that at least i am
1: no i am too absolutely Absolutely. i don't
0: i don't expect him to do all the work that a central midfielder does but as a fullback playing center mid i think he's done outstanding i just think there are better options you can kind of throw there 100 um, at central midfield um let's move on quickly and sure two other positives that were from that match that i want to quickly talk about was kamar lawrence and jefferson soteldo Let's start with Jefferson. Jeff, what did you make of Jefferson's performance? I,
1: I, I feel bad for the guy, uh, because, and I said this on the post game show, you know, he's got a lot riding on his shoulders right now. And not a lot of it makes sense. I don't like that. He's now been, he's now the Seba, you know, just get the ball to to Jefferson and hope for some, a, a measure of individual brilliance. Um, it's not necessarily fair, and it doesn't. It it's not it's not playing to his skill set because he's not a finisher. I mean, he might be a finisher in MLS because the the level is that much lower. But you know, he is he is used to playing that that final ball for somebody else. Um, you know, uh, I I feel bad for him because he's because he needs to break the deadlock. Uh, you, you know, he needs to score a goal to get the albatross off his back. Um, and I also don't like how we're, we're treating him like he came in injured, you know, this, this whole conditioning him, if anything, did we condition pause when he came off the back of an entire Belgian season? We didn't. I mean, Jeff played number 10 for Santos and it hasn't been that long since he was wearing a Santos shirt. So getting him acclimated. It's not making a lot of sense to me, I, and 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 then it starts raising questions about stubbornness in the coaching staff or the medical staff stubbornness from the player. Uh, these are questions I don't want to have to ask. Uh, so so that that bothers me a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, I, I kind of agree with you. There is I was kind of scratching my head a little bit why we are um, easing Jefferson Soteldo into the lineup. I guess because as you mm-hmm. said, he was coming off a full season. This is a guy who played a full 90 not that long ago. Exactly. Like the first match, I can understand. The second match, okay. But by the third match came around, I'm, I'm asking, why can't we go the full 90 now? Is that yeah. because maybe there was two matches in the same week? Whatever the reason was. But positive news is I think last match was the first time we did see Jefferson Soteldo go the full 90. So that, that's kind of, he, he has that under his belt now. I think moving forward, Jefferson Soteldo won't be really coming off this field.
1: Uh oh, did you um, see Ivan's uh, Ivan's message? Let's hope he's okay as he just posted on his Instagram story getting treatment on his knee with prayer emojis.
0: I haven't I haven't seen that yet, but back to what Jefferson was sort of doing yeah. in that match. I mean, I think we all witnessed it. He is he was the best player on the field for Tronofsky. The, yeah, hu- the guy's his hustle
1: was was pretty fantastic.
0: Hustle, yeah. yeah, but also his 1v1 ability. Oh my, his God. ability to take players on and beat players off the dribble like That's such a talent, especially in this modern day football. Mm -hmm. Like it's becoming a harder and harder skill to kind of do because, you know, the game's evolving, the game's growing, and Jefferson Sotelo still seems to be able to find those spaces in behind, beat people off the dribble. There's one play where he got the ball on the left wing, and he was one v one against his defender, and I think he faked him inside, faked him outside, faked him back inside, put the ball around him, and then was gone. And I think more more times often than not, we are seeing Jefferson though when he does take somebody on one v one, he's succeeding. Yep. So now it's about what's next. How do we how do we capitalize on those opportunities? And you know, some of that comes down to their striker play. Yep. Which is something that we can kind of get into a bit. Um, but some of that also. Okay, cool. And some of that also comes down to you know missing that number ten, that final pass and pause because. Yep. That would usually be where Jefferson Seltel beats a guy, and the guy he lays the ball off to instead of it being, you know, a Michael Bradley or something like that. That's an Alejandro Pozuelo, and we yep. know what Blaz can do when he has the ball at his speed, especially in space. So
1: absolutely, absolutely, we're excited yes, to that's... see how
0: that that sort of works out. But before we, uh, we're get also excited here, for this.
1: Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, let's go. talk we're about gonna, hustle.
0: Here comes Mister Hustle. There you go. We're gonna bring on TFC two beat writer for Wake in the Red, Ben Steiner. Ben, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing?
2: More than happy to be joining you guys. Uh, a little bit earlier for me, nine thirty in the morning here on the West Coast where I am. You're on the West <laughs>
0: Coast, eh? <laughs> yeah. Came
2: I thought... back, uh came back for a little while. Uh originally oh, okay. from Vancouver, but uh more than happy to hop on and I pretty much still operate on East Coast time.
0: Oh nice, man, nice. we appreciate you. We appreciate yeah, we, you. we appreciate you.
1: So we now we're just gonna questions. ask you math yeah. questions if that's all right. So get your uh, <laughs> get your abacus and your slide rule out and you know. Hopefully you're awake enough. Uh, Yeah, Mike, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so as I kind of mentioned off the top there, Toronto FC2 making the return to action for the first time in, what, 595 days. Mm -hmm. Their season was called to a halt last year because of pandemic-related issues, traveling issues. So the Young Reds were in inaction last season. It was a full year off. That obviously affected some of the prospects and some of their development. TFC did do a great job of – managing that they sent out quite a few players on loan but you know we're back and and this is huge for TFC's development now my question here is what a lot of people don't really know or understand or even recognize is that when a new coach comes into the mix in, in this case Chris Armas there's a ripple down effect it changes the way that not only your first team plays but also the way that your academy plays in that first game, there Ben, was that kind of recognizable there?
2: That same philosophy.
0: Yeah, go ahead. I think
2: I think it's a little early to really tell what Toronto FC two really is so far. In that first game, well, they looked good. They won two one against North Texas. There was still some areas where they didn't completely look flushed out. They still looked like a team that sort of was just eleven guys who had gotten together. By the time they played their first game, they'd only had eight training sessions. Uh, after, and that that was uh, Mike Munoz who told me told me that earlier this week. And so the, they really hadn't had time to gel as a team, um, but they're all decent players and decent prospects in their own right. So they had that opportunity to come together and sort of almost a, a formal training session by playing North Texas, even though it, there was three points in the line and they did pick that up. So I think it's a little early to really tell whether there is a trickle down effect from Chris Armis at the top, but there is that in sort of who was who playing that game and the roster buildup. It's a young roster. Uh, there, there's guys as young as 16 years old born in 2004 on this TFC2 roster. So you look at that, and that's pretty similar on Mike Muniz's um, TFC2 team to Chris Armis's first team because Chris Armis has not been scared to play the kids. Just look at uh, the, the likes of Ralph Pariso playing the midfield, Jacob Schaffelberg on the wing, uh, and it's a very similar situation with TFC2. Now in terms of tactically, it's still early to tell, but TFC two are planning to play in a similar way as the first team. But as we've seen with the first team so far, that's not necessarily been a way that's been working. So (laughs) it'll be a a bit of a balancing act for for, uh, head coach Mike Munoz uh, about balancing, sort of having a a winning style, which might not be the style that the first team is using. but also developing players in that style to eventually use in the first team, uh, which I know is
1: something we'll touch on later. Uh, you know, say, tell us about Mike Munoz. Uh, you know, you've obviously interviewed him, so maybe some impressions about the guy, but also a bit of his origin story. I mean, what, where is he coming from? What's his background? And uh, does he remind you in any way of, of, of Armis Ball Z, which is, I've been trying to get Armis Ball Z into conversation because it seems the WTR threat is named, his system that, so I'm going to will it into into the common vernacular.
2: Yeah, well, Mike Munoz has a, a a decent coaching record. He's been uh with the LA Galaxy for a little while. He was the LA Galaxy too for a little while as well uh, as their head coach, and he was successful with them—not overly successful, but uh, certainly decent. And he has a bit of a history in developing players in the LA Galaxy system through the academy and then the USL, and now uh, onto the first team. And now. He comes to Toronto, and he was with Toronto uh, in early 2020, uh, planning to lead them into the 2020 season, and he never got to do that. So he's mm-hmm. not a guy who was brought in by Chris Armas He wasn't a guy who was brought in to sort of have that style all the way through the club, but he was a new guy brought in because they needed a new coach. Uh, and so they did that. It, it, interestingly, Michael Rubaska, uh, who was the coach of TFC2, uh, went to the la galaxy so it was almost like a, a bit of a swap unofficially um mm-hmm. but munoz he i think he's he's a pleasant guy to talk to uh very good answers i know that there's some coaches who will give you a bit of a yes or no answer i don't really know chris Armas all that well uh but mike munoz was giving fantastic answers when i spoke to him last week um and it seems like he really knows how to operate a usl2 team uh because A lot of the the interesting thing about the usl is you have teams that are there to win it they're the sole franchise of that club and then you also have development teams whether that's new england revolution 2 toronto fc2 uh or in the case of seattle tacoma defiance where they go by a different name but those teams are there to develop players for an eventual mls team so there's different philosophies throughout the league and i think the thing with munoz what he learned not only with the la galaxy academy but also with their two team is how to manage up and how to manage that team that's looking for results, but
1: also looking for development. Uh, just a quick follow-up, LA Galaxy 2 play in USL League 2, or do they play in the championship one level up? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, they, they play in the championship one level up, okay. but it's a very similar structure by developing players uh, just at the USL level, where it's well, whether it's USL League 1, where Toronto FC 2 is, or LA mm-hmm. Galaxy 2.
1: Okay, yeah. I said USL League Two
2: because it's so confusing. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is fairly confusing. USL League Two uh, is what used to be the PDL. So uh, right. I think the North Bay Chill are in the USL PDL uh, or USL League Two now. Um, they've got mm-hmm. one of the better logos in in Canadian soccer, maybe even world soccer, with a polar bear grabbing a soccer ball. But wow, uh, that's a bold state. We don't have to get into USL League Two. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was mentioning there that that Mike Munoz is sort of a Greg Vanny hire. And it was really interesting because when Greg Vanny departed Toronto FC, there was quite a few faces that went to LA Galaxy. And one of the faces that, you know, perhaps surprisingly, perhaps not, that stuck around was Mike Munoz. So I'm really interested to see how he adapts his system to be sort of like Chris Armis's system. Because, like I said there, I think Mike Munoz even talked about this, is that those guys have to work in sort of sync. They have to be, you know, under this on the same page so that when a player does graduate from the TFC Academy to the first team, they understand the type of football that they want to play. I know that was something that was very important to Greg Vanny. I think it's also very important to Chris Armis. So something to look out for there. But I want to kinda ask you is kind of general question is just how important is this TFC two team going to be to TFC this year? Because last season, they didn't have TFC2. And I think that kind of hindered some of their team's development. But what are are your thoughts on that?
2: I I think it's critical. Having a USL team or some sort of farm team that's a step from the academy all the way up to the MLS team and have that middle step where players can develop, I think is a critical step in MLS team's player development. You look at, for example, the Vancouver Whitecaps. They had Whitecaps too, or CF Montreal. They had FC Montreal they had that stepping stone for players to come up. Alfonso Davies played with Whitecaps too before he made his first team debut and look what he's doing now. And so having that step to get used to playing against men, get used to playing in a professional atmosphere, it's critical to making an impact in MLS eventually down the road. And TFC have seen that. I think it's something like 17 players on the current MLS roster have spent time with TFC too. The thing this year is TFC two isn't in Canada. And for the start of the year, they're not near the first team. So right now TFC two, in terms of a development model, it's good, but it's not where it could be. It's really a sole club right now because they're in Casa Grande, Arizona. They don't really have that option to send players up and down too easily. And so right now it's a bit of a skeleton crew for TFC two, the player development is going to be sort of more longer term rather than sort of sending a guy down for a game to get some minutes, get some fitness. Uh, but when the team relocates to uh, Kiss Me Florida, then they'll have that opportunity to send players up, send players down and use TFC2 sort of as they normally would playing in Toronto. It's going to be different this year though, right? Because the TFC Academy is still in Toronto. They're not playing right now with government restrictions. And so you can't call a guy up to send him down to Florida too easily because when he comes back to Canada he'll have to quarantine for two weeks. And what does that do to his fitness? What does that do to his progression? So there's a whole bunch of issues like that. So it's still an important place for TFC to have and a, a TFC2 to be playing this year, but it won't be as good as it would be sort of in other years when everything's in Canada and COVID doesn't exist and uh, everything would just work a lot smoother.
0: Right. They are moving yeah. over to, to Florida to Kissimmee right there in the yeah, middle Kissimmee. of June. Um, and that's about a thirty minute drive from Orlando. So perhaps that's where we'll see more of the the team integrate. I think you mentioned that. So excited to see that Jeff. The, you had they'll, actually be,
2: they'll actually right, be the sa- they'll actually be li- uh, living at the same they'll be living at the same complex as the first team is when they go over to Florida. So uh, they'll be right integrated with a lot of the first team activities, a lot of the first team uh, video sessions and things like that. Uh, and so that sort of line of communication, Uh, cooperation between Munoz and Armis is going to be even more open. And I'm sure that we'll see more players go up and down. I know one player that we'll certainly see come down to TFC2 is Brogan Angbers, who is a goalkeeper signed before before the season. He's on a USL deal, but currently he's already in Florida and he won't be with the team until they go to Florida and he joins them there. So uh, we will see a lot more roster movement and sort of cooperation when the two teams are in Florida because they'll be living right next to each other.
0: There you go.
1: hmm A uh, quick follow-up. There, there's got to be some benefits to this weirdo. Like, I mean, Mike at least gets some time with his guys to sort of foster relationships outside of the, the pressures from the first team. Uh, you know, there has to be a, a glass half full kind of perspective on, on them being in Arizona right now. Would you agree? Yeah, I would totally agree. I think you look at their setup
2: in Arizona, and they're basically at an MLS preseason camp. There's nothing else you can do than play soccer in the, in the desert. I don't know if our listeners have seen photos of this place in Casa Grande, but Mm -hmm. it is patches of green in a desert. There's nothing around it. It is just soccer fields and just a hotel. So they really have nothing else to focus on than playing soccer training and getting to know each other. So that's definitely a positive for a short while. I think eventually, as we saw sort of with the NHL bubble, uh, yeah. the MLS bubble and stuff, it can get quite isolating if they were there for too long. Uh, but moving down to Florida where COVID restrictions don't exist, uh, they'll be able to bond as a team in Arizona and then move to Florida, and that, that'll that work out fairly nicely. Um, but it's not a situation that you'd want to be in for the entire season in Arizona.
1: No, sir. No, sir. Um,
2: who do you think is most ready to make the jump to the first team? Uh, Tem- Temi Antonoglu. Uh, it's a tongue twister of a name, but oh my God. he was fantastic on the first week of the season. Uh, he's a left back and he's been uh, just stunning. He played 90 minutes of fantastic soccer on the weekend. He, uh, the second goal he uh, scored by Garrett McLaughlin uh, was just off a beautiful cross in from Antonoglu. And he was solid defensively. 17 uh, successful passes on on the match as well. Just wow. overall a fantastic player, and I think he's probably ready for the first team. Uh, I know um, I know, Mike sort of pointed him out a while ago on Twitter that he might be ready for the first team, and uh, I think he's, he's probably ready for that. If you look at the first team, though, I don't really see much of a place with him at fullback right now. Um, and, of course, being in Arizona, he's not going to move up too easily. Uh, but maybe when they're in Florida, he gets a chance at the first team. Can he yeah. play anything but left back? He can definitely get up the pitch uh, on the weekend. He only played left back, but I think he can pretty well slide in at left midfield. And being as young as he is, uh, pretty sure he's still in his teen years. um, He can definitely adapt to different situations.
0: I like him already.
2: Yeah, Yeah, Um, I like him already. He can play left
0: wing back as well, but I I personally, I think he's a really good modern day fullback. Um, I think he has some growing to do physically to get ready for the MLS game. But in terms of mentally, in terms of thinking the game, this guy is a baller. Um, I'm excited to see where where he kind of develops and he's someone to kind of keep a lookout for because there is some competition there at that left-back spot in terms of TFC prospects because another one coming through the ranks that the club really likes and is really high on, that's Luca Petrasso. So it'll be interesting to see if those two eventually kind of battle it out for that first-team spot. What can you tell us about Luca, Ben?
2: Well, Luca Petrasso is one of the guys who has experience on TFC too. I think this is his fifth season with uh, the team dubbed the Young Reds. And he was decent on the weekend. I don't think he did anything really exceptional. Um, But of course, it's just 90 minutes of soccer. You can't really judge too much off that. Uh, Sure, you can jump to conclusions because that's what we do. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) you can't can't judge too much off 90 minutes of play. Uh, Petrasso, he's a good player. He's established himself in the TFC system through not only Vanny and starting to do it, uh, through Armas and Munoz now. Um, but I, I didn't see much on the weekend. He's a good player. Um, but right now, just based on one game of form, I would, uh, give Antinoglu the nod for a first team call-up. Wow. Yeah.
0: Interesting to see for sure. Um, all right. So we, we have also, uh, someone is kind, of like, kind of untouted right now and a USL league one player of the week scoring both of Toronto C2's goals, their first goals in over 595 days. What can you tell TFC fans about Garrett McLaughlin?
2: Well, Garrett McLaughlin sort of came out of nowhere. He's sort of your classic USL almost journeyman. When he signed, I at first thought that he was sort of mid-20s, late-20s, maybe even early-30s because just of where he's played in his track record. Uh, came from the NCAA, was a successful goal scorer with Southern Me- Methodist uh, University, or SMU for short. Uh, was the eighth overall selection by the Houston Dynamo uh, in the MLS Super Draft a couple of years ago. Went on I to play for their... Like yeah, Like you know,
0: last year, not even like a couple years ago. This is a guy who, eighth overall, he has some potential to him, doesn't he?
2: He certainly has some potential to him. He didn't light the world on fire when he was with the Rio Grande Valley Toros. Um, but he certainly did it in his first week uh, and the nice TFC two hoops. Um, So we'll see whether he can make much of much progress in the new system that he's in. Uh, But he certainly made a good first impression. He linked up. Well, Uh, the thing I'm worried about, at least for the immediacy is how are his legs going to hold up? Because right now he is the only striker on the Mm -hmm. roster on a professional contract behind him uh, is Hugo Mbong, Ralph Preso's brother. Uh, he's 16 years old, he's not exactly an option to start too many games, and so you're playing two games a week for the first six weeks of the season. I've got a feeling that Garrett McLaughlin's going to get quite tired if they don't add a new striker soon, um, but he certainly did fantastic in the first game of the season. Uh, sure, he scored a penalty, you have to score those, um, but his second goal was just a beautiful finish.
0: I've got a solution to that problem, and his name is Jordan Perusa. <laughs> what type of told- what I've been told is that his loan is actually like an eight or nine game loan to San Antonio FC. And following his loan, he's expected to join that TFC2 club. So keep, keep an eye on that because TFC strike, TFC2 strikers between McLaughlin and Perusa, that's a real threat there in USL. And if, they, if that is indeed the case and Perusa does join that side, watch out. Um, but I, I thought you were though, going
1: to say Tsubasa Endo actually, but,
0: uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's anyway. not very often though. Like you see an eighth overall MLS Super Draft pick the very next year go down to the the USL. I mean, this is the guy who. I mean, if you're drafted eighth overall, you're probably expected to sort of compete for an MLS roster spot. So I was really surprised to see TFC two pick, pick him up. I think it's a fantastic pickup. And I think he's actually, if he does really, really well, he could make a case for himself to, you know, potentially earn a first-team contract, maybe not with TFC, maybe with TFC, but with another club down the line. So this is a very good showcase opportunity, especially as he is one of the only strikers on the roster. So great shout there. I'm interested to see how he kind of progresses. Jeff, one final question there you have for Ben.
1: It's a a double question, but... Why do they call them the young Reds if they're guys on the roster that are potentially older than the young guys on the TFC first team roster? I mean, it's it, it could be a pejorative term for, for guys on your roster. Why do you think they do that? I'm not sure, to be
2: honest. I wasn't calling him that until I saw our colleague James Rossi uh, mm-hmm. James Grossi, uh, put it in his season preview on the Toronto FC website. So I saw that and I sort of picked it up, but, I'm not sure exactly where it came from or why they call them that because you're right. They had a 34-year-old netminder in that yeah, uh, yeah. On, on Saturday. So not exactly the young Reds there. And then Luca Petrasso was 20 years old. So uh, when you have an 18-year-old playing the midfield on the first team, it's a little counterintuitive to be calling yeah. the second team the young Reds. Um, I know that when the Whitecaps had their farm team, they were known as the Thundercaps because they played at UBC's Thunderbird Stadium. Uh, so maybe we could think of a bit of a new name for TFC2
1: rather than yep. the Young Reds, uh, but nothing's yeah. really come to mind yet. Maybe, maybe the Hoops because they, they well, do those. Yeah, maybe right. the Hoops, and that's a perfect segue. How do I get one of those kits, and why can't I order them? What is going on here? Well, that, that I don't know.
2: You'll probably have to ask a guy uh, more inside TFC and TFC2. Um there's Which some will be you in, like, two weeks, so... <laughs> uh the, the, there's some teams that do uh sell usl jerseys i mean the las vegas lights they sell their jerseys and those are some of the best in in all of soccer usl the two teams include ford madison again some of the best jerseys yeah, yeah, in all yeah, of, of soccer course. around yeah, the world yeah. Yeah. um but i've found a hard time finding team finding jerseys for the two teams uh and the sort of dedicated mls farm teams um because often they wear the jersey of their first team just with, with a different patch now I've been very interested to see that TFC two doesn't do that. They actually have a better jersey than the first team. Um, mm, but I, it's <laughs> I, it would be great to be able to buy one. Um, but mm-hmm. apparently you can't. Damn.
0: That's all right. That's all right. Hopefully we can soon. I know Eric G is, is interested in that as well. I thought I saw, I thought I saw him tweet that out. Um, so yeah, maybe you did. we'll get an answer on that sooner rather than later. But Ben, uh, Good luck this season covering this team. You're doing some fantastic work so far, and we will definitely have you back on in the future to get some updates on the Young Reds. I'm gonna stick with that name because that's just how it goes, man. That's I the hate name that right name. Now. I
1: hate that name. I got it. We gotta think of a better one. Because if I was <laughs> if I was Caleb, I'd be like, yeah, I don't want to play for this team anymore. I walk into training camp and it's just an insult. Like at this player point.
0: coach, man. Player yeah. coach. He. he yeah. I think he embraces all of that, but. It's all right. But anyways, Ben, thank you once again for for joining us, and we'll talk soon, all right?
2: More than happy to join whenever, and more than happy to talk some USLE, too, because I think it's just such a fun league.
0: Awesome. Very fun. Thank you, Ben. Okay.
1: Everything I hope for. I love getting the insight on the the, the formerly known as Young Reds.
0: Some great insight there from Ben. And like I said, he's going to be on the beat all season. I'm really excited to see what he does uh, moving forward. And he's already created some fantastic content. So yeah, and he's already got a fan. Yeah, Benny. Oh yeah, there you yep. go, Benny. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a segue. Let's talk a little bit about Jordan Peruza, who mm-hmm. he made a cameo appearance once again, I guess, for San, San Antonio FC UFL Championship. And what do you know? This guy comes on 15 minutes left. He loves his debuts with San Antonio. Because he once again netted the game winner, making an impact, I don't know, maybe seven minutes after he came on the pitch. A uh, ball gets thrown in from a corner, crossed into the middle, bounces around a couple bit around a bit, mm-hmm. finds Jordan Peruza's feet, and he he volleys at home. You know, it wasn't yeah, the cleanest it. volley, but he, he did did enough to get in the back of the net. And that ended up being the game winner. So shout out Jordan Perusa for the the start he had with San Antonio. And hopefully that does wonders for his confidence because I think he really is a, a potential first team stud for the for Toronto FC. I mean, he he's done it at every level so far, except for the MLS and, and Major League Soccer. He obviously still has a lot of growing to do, especially when you consider the, the people that are in front of him in terms of strikers. Mm-hmm. But he has he has all the tools and all the potential. So excited to see him get off the mark there once again. Um, and as I mentioned, it's a shorter loan, so we will see yep. him back sooner rather
1: than later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I mean, Tsubasa tore up USL too. You know what I mean? And uh, that did wonders
0: for his confidence because it sure from, did. From it a, sure it did. Back from that?
1: Absolutely. He,
0: he went on to start the MLS Cup final. He went on Swords such a run, which was playoffs super too. important to Greg Vanny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, maybe that does a similar effect Jordan Pruza. Keep an eye out for that. Now, kind of a segue, and we're talking about TFC strikers. One of the biggest question marks right now, if, if Chris Armist does want to start one striker up top, is do you go with Josie Altador or do you go with Iowa Canola? Jeff, I'll pose that question to you.
1: I mean, we, we, we talked about this on the post game. I think we're in agreement. I start Iowa. Uh, you know, if there, it, all things being equal, uh, you know, I want Io to get into rhythm and Josie to be comfortable with his role as a super sub that that can score clutch goals. Um, you know, and I don't I, I'm not eliminating that, you know, a couple, maybe a month of, of, of rolling out, rolling with Io as the starter and Josie coming on to just inject fire into the team doesn't result in him in them switching around. That, that That's the wonder of having these two guys on our roster. But for right now, it's Io. It's it's 100 percent Io.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I mean, he's twenty-one years old. I think when Josie Altar is on his game, I think he is the better striker.
1: A, m- a million percent.
0: It's just we haven't seen Jose Altar on his game enough. There's, there's one time we saw him on his game really this season, and that was when he came on as a substitute. Yeah, That's yeah. Columbus, right? And that he obviously rang that that screamer off the crossbar. And then he, he ended up finishing there in the the cross or whatever from Omar Gonzalez. So, you know, it's it's an interesting debate because if you were to sort of remove the price tags from everyone, remove the designated player status, remove everything of that, and you just look at the player on the field and what they bring, it's it's tough to not consider Josie Alter as a super sub moving forward.
1: You know, I... The- I don't want to call out a new fan because I've I've not, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, Ilcino true, is a DP it's... and he's a super sub. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I agree in principle, all things being equal, you don't want your highest paid players on the team to be riding the pine until the 65th minute. The league is, I mean, Olivier Giroud, I'll always go back. Like, he is my definition of a luxury player, right? Like, Chelsea can afford to have this guy ride the pine and play him once every fifth or sixth game. So, uh, you know, MLS isn't there yet. But that's, that's kind like if we were following along a defined path, that's where we're going. So, you let, know, let me eventually, post it this way. Let yeah, me post it yeah, this yeah. Way. please do. Please. Is, do, if getting lost. Josie Althor
0: is re signing a contract today. Does he sign as a designated player?
1: Well, I don't think he signs an MLS. I think he goes to okay. Okay, hypothetically.
0: Don't ruin it, man. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Okay, hypothetically, if he's re-signing in Major League Soccer today, Mm -hmm. is Josie Altidore a designated player?
1: Am I the GM? Because I wouldn't. like Based upon the last three years, no chance.
0: I don't think Based there's to- many GMs in Major League Soccer in general. Maybe a team that doesn't use their designated player spot, third designated player spot, throw him a DP contract because of what he brings
1: off the field. And, yeah, but then, you know, but then you're, but then you're in the conundrum Jose. that they could never afford him, right? So, but
0: I think, I think, yeah, I think if TFC mm-hmm. were re-signing a designated player this season, and Josie Altador's contract was up, Josie Altador doesn't get that third designated player spot. No way. Because no way, because you look at TFC's other designated players, Alejandro Pazuela, the league's MVP, Jefferson Sotelda. We talked about what he can do already on this show. Mm-hmm. Like we're not writing Josie Altucher off at all. No.
1: But, but but you know, the the we we listen we listen to a lot or we read a lot of Josie Hate on, on the most recent WTR co- comment threads, right? Just reactionary knee jerk, like what's up with this guy? Shoot him into the sun, kind of kind of nonsense. Um so when you bring TFC into the equation, you have to factor that in, right? Like, so he's not a DP again, absolutely. But if you take TFC out of the equation, um, you know, it, it's, the, it's the catch-22. Like, sure, the Colorado Rapids would love to have Josie as a DP, but the Colorado Rapids are not paying any player those kind of wages ever. So, you know, again... It, The examples right there, Josie's next deal. I hate to burst your bubble, but Josie's next deal is in one of those markets where they overpay for luxury players. So, we're talking the Middle East and we're talking China right now in the current uh soccer landscape,
0: potentially Uh, depends on where he wants to go and if he is looking for money and whatnot, because you never know what his motivation is. You never know, you never know. I mean, this
1: is wild, this is wild speculation, but you know, MLS is going to become a league, I hope. Where the DP tag disappears, and then we can start talking about luxury players. And there's nothing wrong with being a luxury player. I love Olivier Giroud. I wish he played for us as our third DP. Um, well, but yeah. we ain't there yet. So, and I
0: think that's also you know, TFC obviously haven't done the greatest this year. They're one win, two losses, three draws, or something like that. Um, maybe three losses, two draws. I don't know which one it is right now. Five points. I know that. But it's also I think this team even without Jose as a third-designated player, is a very good team. Absolutely. It's almost a luxury right now where TFC's carrying that third-designated player as not really a designated player. But just imagine if they had a designated player in that place. That's that's where that's where the frustration stems from because right now he's not living up to that designated player tag. Sure. Whether or not he should start at, over Iowa Canola is a little bit of a different conversation. Um, me, personally, I think you know it, it's probably more more worthwhile to invest in Iowa Canola get him going because he is someone who could you know turn TFC a profit <laughs> you know TFC I got, go out, I got so a
1: real I, left field question right now yeah would you would you take 2021 Josie or 2019 PD Martinez
0: that's really left
1: field <laughs> no because PD Martinez was just parading around the midfield with with his with his shoulders down like you know his body language was terrifying and you know they paid so much for the the uh uh, uh player the former south american player of the year they were absolutely new cap they had and he wasn't injured so they had to start the guy and when they benched him it was a big deal um it's a worthwhile question right i mean that guy objectively made atlanta united worse whenever he was on the field and so
0: yeah you know i mean yeah i think they're two kind of different players um
1: sure i mean one's a midfielder and yeah <laughs> exactly isn't. but so it's kind of but, hard but, but they're both dps right and 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 we're having this conversation about the dp tag which changes everything well,
0: so. I, I would take i'd probably take josie altador i mean me too me P- too pt P- 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 martinez is a good player but i'd rather take josie altador just because tfc's need right now is scoring goals and i think josie altador is just the better goal scorer
1: um, absolutely
0: I mean, it makes a great point there is that you know none of them have got the, the real service so far. TFC haven't played a real number 10 there in that spot to sort of, you know, filter everything through and, and spray balls through. And that's where Alejandro Pozuelo gets, comes into play. So I think we can roll the, the Michael Singh injury report now, Jeff.
1: Sweet. Just let me find it. <laughs> no worries. Uh, doo, 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 doo. There it is. It's the Michael Singh injury report.
0: Okay, so I wonder what the news everybody's waiting to hear is.
1: <laughs> what's up with Erickson Gallardo? Tell us up, what's going yeah, on with Gallardo. Let's talk Gallardo. about
0: a little bit of Erickson Gallardo, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, no, and I'll serious this. Alejandro Pozuelo. He is finally expected to be back this weekend. He's back, baby. We saw today he's back in training. He's been back in training last week as well. And Chris Armas said last week that he does expect Pozuelo to return in the next week. So we finally got that definite timeline. So keep an eye out for the return of Alejandro Pozuelo. I know some people are asking in the chat about Achara and asking about uh no, I think, it's no, just I think
1: Achara. that was just Vichara. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one else cares about anything else. Um,
0: Achara is one I'm going to get an update on this week. Keep an eye out on my Sweet. Twitter because I will ask about Achara this week because he is finished that six game kind of wait there. So um, he is eligible to return this week. I'm not sure if he's quite there yet, but I will try and get an update for that. Same with Julian Dunn. He's under that same sort of category. Ericsson Gairdo should be close. Um, if he he's not on loan, <laughs> and then to that. yeah, uh, 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 kind of on the the downside here is that that hit on Jonathan Azorio. he obviously came off holding his hamstring. I'm just gonna pull up exactly what minute that is because I think that is important context here. um azura came off in the 55th minute. For Nick I would say 65th. Wow. Okay. So yeah, so he went 55 minutes, um and it's it's just it's been a bad run to the start of the season for ozo a lot of soft tissue injuries in the same area of the leg and yeah i don't know if it's it's re-injured as Re-re-injured. As, yeah, re-injured yeah i don't know yeah. if it's that because i think it's like almost a different injury because before i thought it was his quad that was really giving him the problem that's where he was icing mm-hmm. and then it looked like he was holding the, the back of his leg coming off so he was being evaluated by team doctors after the match and Armist didn't have a clear update on Ozo, so we'll try and get one this week. But it didn't look good. It so it didn't frustrating,
1: look good. so frustrating. I mean, this is when people start digging into into uh, press conferences that that the Gaffer gave, and then recycling the comment verbatim as a as a you know what I mean? Like it, there was so much about protecting Ozo, and yet he wasn't subbed out at the half, and then ten minutes later he goes down again. That to me is bad player management I, I there's no way around it i mean even if oso says i'm good to go he played another 10 minutes right nothing happened in those 10 minutes so
0: hindsight's 2020
1: 20. oh I hindsight mean, is totally 2020 20, and all we do here is madly speculate that's that's the par for the course but but you know god so damn it, so, it was,
0: said we, we came into the game thinking 45 to 60 minutes mm-hmm. i mean he was 55 when he got taken okay so okay it was right in that sort of category right in that
1: sweet spot for him to to hobble off uh yeah exactly yeah. i mean obviously
0: mm-hmm. in hindsight we can ask questions about yes should he have been taken off at half and that's our privilege
1: exactly
0: i'm sure yeah. if armis went back then and he's like yeah of course we would have taken off at half of we course wish we that. of course but like who knows the injury is actually gonna act up then i mean mm-hmm. it, that that's a tough one i mean well what can you really do about that it's a, it's a different injury too than what he was initially you know going through um yeah.
1: i think it's important to remind ourselves that as frustrating as this is and i am the number one champion for frustration i think it's very important to remind ourselves they didn't you know there was that covid outbreak at the outset of preseason this is so far from an ideal situation in terms of fixture congestion, in terms of everything else, and then you add. And this is where I start. This is where I start having the problem. And then you add a new coach with a new system. That to me is like multiplying zeros, right? I'm not saying that we that there was another way to do it, but you had to expect this. Doesn't make it any less frustrating. I don't think we've seen the last of it. I also what mm-hmm.
0: I also don't think their injury situation has been. As bad of late as people are making it out to be.
1: Nothing's as bad as people in TFC land are making it out to be. Come like, with
0: that. <laughs> talk about, I mean, Dom Dwyer had a hamstring tightness and, mm-hmm. and they were cautious about that, held him out of the match. Um, that should be a small issue. He should be back. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Ozo, obviously, re injury is a big one. That's probably their biggest slip up so far, in my opinion. Okay. And then you have, I mean, the look at, look at, has been out two months.
1: Our friend Thundercat, uh, you know, it, it, you don't need hindsight to be cautious with a player that's been injured three times already, but Where, where's you got to play cautious, him. Though? Where's
0: that you line to of play cautious? Him. I
1: mean, if he's ready to play, you have to play him. You can be cautious all you want, and he doesn't play, right? It, the, there's a risk that any player makes, uh, uh, you know, a tacit understanding that, you know, they might, they might be injured. Uh, it's uh,
0: 45 minutes cautious or 55 minutes cautious, like... I think the TFC medical staff—they have better insight of what what, what players. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I'm not maybe.
1: reserving. I'm not. I'm not uh, pulling them out of the the clown yeah. category Norton just yet. Would, but, aside yeah. from Ozo,
0: there's hasn't been any other re-injuries for this TFC mm-hmm. team, right? Unless I'm I'm thinking of someone else. Something. Am I missing someone?
1: Uh no. I mean. I don't know there's been so many injuries at like this, this point. I mean, this is a team to... that,
0: that's gotten Josie Altador back on the field for the most part, right? Like yeah. they are doing something that that's right. I don't think it's been as crazy as some people are making it out to be. Like their injury no, list No, I we're judging every, I tweeted out after every match. Their injury list is short. It's getting shorter mm. and shorter after every single match.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, my counter that to bad. that is time heals all wounds and it has nothing to do with the medical staff. But at the end of the day, uh uh you know we're viewing them under the lens of of a perfect situation where they're at the bmo they've had a proper preseason, etc etc and i think that's where we get into problems i'm not going to say it's not frustrating because it sure as heck is it's unbelievably frustrating and it leads to questions like this one which i'm gonna have to scroll way way up it's another ivan question which is do you guys risk playing pause this weekend before the international break or do you bring him back after the international break okay it's a wonderful but, chess move question here's
0: but, here's what i'll say mm-hmm. the risk is gone there with pause they've taken all of the precautions
1: oh my god blood. mike that's, that's you're gonna, why you... <laughs> no, no no jeff i don't okay. I really,
0: i'll say it that's why he's mm-hmm. taken so long to come back chris Armas has said it pause himself has has said he's ready to come back but you know they know the injury's still there he's training without any pain but they okay. know the injury's still there they, they had these conversations with us two, three, four weeks ago, and that they are earing on the side of caution. So if Paz is, is ready to actually come back on Saturday, you play him because that caution is, is already, you've already taken as much caution as you need. This is an injury that no one expected him to be out for two months. Mm-hmm. They've taken the full two months for him to come back. If he's, if he's good to go, you get him out there and it's not because I'm frustrated of not seeing pause on the field, it's just because I believe they've taken all of the caution they need to take already. Yeah.
1: And even even one game with pause before the international break will have, you know, if it goes as well we as we think it does, the knock on effect it has for everybody's confidence, I think is worth the risk. Um, but you know, this is this is uh cold speculation, right? And and Oh my god is Armus' feet going to be on the fire if he brings paws back for that game and he goes down re-injured uh you know which leads me to what i wanted to discuss which which you know you don't have on a rundown but i was sure we are going to get to it anyway which is we are seeing a whole lot of armis out manning out curtis out uh uh this you know knee-jerk knee-jerk things is it too soon or is it too late you know Mike just disappeared, but now he's back. Ooh,
0: that was, I mean, that was such a hot take that I, uh, well, because the camera went off, man. <laughs>
1: camera off. I way think it's too soon. soon. I think it's way too soon. Way but I too also, soon. but I also, I also, I don't we want it to start be too to, late. We just
0: started to see this roster come into place. Like mm-hmm. James Grossi was on the show talking about Greg Vanny and how he was saying it takes, you know, sometimes two years for a coach to get his roster overturned to the his liking to his identity. And we're just seeing the likes of a Kamar Lawrence come into play, who we've absolutely praised here at WT. we've seen uh, what's his face, um Dom Dwyer come into mm-hmm. this team, who we've absolutely praised here in his 20 minutes. Yep. And then we see like the likes of a Sotaldo come into the mix, who is a new player as well. Like it takes time for a coach to get a fair run of play because at a certain point, he's not—he's not inheriting a, a roster, or I mean, when he comes in, he's inheriting a roster that's not made for him. Sure. So, and we we know about the history between Greg Vanney and Ali Curtis about how they all—they weren't seeing eye to eye all the time in terms of the players that they should buy. Like, mm-hmm. there's way too soon for for anybody to be calling for Armis out. Like the start of the season, I mean, five points is not great, but if you look <laughs> at each match except for that Red Bulls match. Like they, they played all right, man. Like they weren't, they weren't horrid. Now I expect this TFC team to be a lot better. And I think a lot you know, the injection of Alejandro Pozzuolo will help that a lot. But in terms of Armis out, Curtis out, all of that, that's just, that's way too soon. Miss me with that.
1: No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, we're going to see it. We see it every loss. We saw it with Vanny every loss. We see it with a string of losses. The, the, the voices just get, you know, that, I mean, those are knee jerk takes. What are you going to do? Uh, but how long do we give him? I mean, I'm, I give him the season because Mm -hmm. even if we come back in, in July to BMO, this is a Franken season, another Franken season. He gets the season. And there's a big part of me that thinks that this was always the plan success or fail because, you know, we had a, a coach turnover, uh, at the, at the, at a very inopportune time, like a week after we crashed out of the playoffs last season. Um, so I, I, you know, there's a part of me that thinks that that if we win, great. If we lose, whatever this year, which is which is kind of horrible, because I ascribe that that feeling to the front office, unfortunately. But we need to take. We if need to have. Team, re- mm-hmm.
0: If this team is not a playoff team at the end of the season, then mm-hmm. we can start having this conversation. One, there's, there's still thirty thirty one more games for this team to play. Like, there's still so much more soccer. And yeah. I want everybody who's saying Armis out to keep that same energy halfway through the season because I personally believe this thing's going to be flipped upside down. There's too much talent on this TFC roster for things to continue in this direction. We don't even have Alejandro Puzuelo back yet. We don't have the league's MVP, most valuable player back yet. Yeah. And this is a new coach coming into a completely new system with new players that he's unfamiliar with. Like, it takes time. I get that. And I don't even think they played bad against Orlando. I think that's a game they should have won, but I don't think mm-hmm. they played bad. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, it's true. Results have to come. And like I said, if they're not a playoff team at the end of this year, have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But let, let's get behind our coach, guys. Let's, let's give him some, some you know, when, when times are rough, let's stick through him through the thick and the thin. Because when-, when I don't think, think the criticism is up,
1: unfounded. I don't. But I do think the takes for his head are a little mm-hmm. premature um yeah i mean listen if pause comes in and it's the same old same old wow we are not going to enjoy moderating the forums on waking the red let's just put it that way um and and that like how much how much of a leash do you give tfc with pause like if they don't perform in game one right off the hawk uh are are you still? Do you still have such a sunny, rosy disposition, or are you starting to? I mean, elbows?
0: there's there's so much factors that go like, do they play well and and not get the result? Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, there's there's a lot. I want to see what that plays out and how that unfolds before we get into it. Um, I will give pause a little bit to get kind of game shaped, game ready, game fit, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I he's most, league's most valuable player. He makes this team that much better. Yeah. Um, listen. They, Question marks are there for Armis in terms of you know certain decision making and whatnot. We started our show by talking about how we don't believe he is getting the best out of his players mm-hmm. and setting this team up to succeed the best that they could be. But at the end of the day, man, like you got to give this guy time, like, dude. We're they're playing.
1: They're pl- they're now playing in a hostile home ground. I mean, that we really too. need we really need to emphasize that, right? Like that the vibe in that place is totally different following this game right there'll be fans in the stands for all the games they're going to be hostile uh you know tfc plays orlando and they were at whatever the capacity that was allowed by the by the state government you know the next game where they play columbus they'll probably be crickets and like two people in there and that affects you it has to affect you so their 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 home ground is now a hostile ground this is important. I know it's so easy to to forget about all this and just and just go for the easy culprits. But I really do think that we have to consistently emphasize just what kind of uh, just how hard the odds are stacked against them. Um,
0: that too, yeah, it's definitely something we overlook quite often. Is quite you know, often, kind of put, put the back of their mind is is the condition that this team is playing in. Obviously, away from home and in a completely different climate in Florida not in mm-hmm. their home stadium. I mean, there's, there's a ton of factors that, you know, Armour's laid out, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, but no excuses, man. Like, like that's, the t- that's the philosophy that this team wants to take, and that's, I think moving forward, that's what we should kind of instill as well. Yes, we can yeah. remind ourselves at times that this is, this is the reality of what they're going through, but this is also a team, I believe, and they showed even last season during the pandemic, that mm-hmm. this is a team that's capable of producing results despite the conditions. So I, I think, think it's I
1: think it's weirder this year because they're like in Florida, like someone like Ben said, COVID's over. You know what I mean? Like the general zeitgeist in the state of Florida is that the pandemic is done and people are moving on with their lives and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, when these guys call their family at home, it's like it's like an alien planet. Right. Like their day to day experiences is that they can do whatever the hell they want. And then they call their wives and kids, and the, and it's stress after stress. You know, what are we going to do with the second AZ dose? Like, is my kid going to school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I no, think good. that we need it. We need That's to have good. that perspective. Do you know what I mean? It sucks.
0: Sure. It sucks. Sure. I want to yeah. talk about I'm, Ivan's comment quickly. I mm. think we should wrap up soon, but Absolutely. Ivan says uh, Armist still hasn't coached his home opener, and the reason why I want to bring that up is because. Armis is a guy who talks about energy, he talks yep. about intensity, he mm-hmm. talks about passion, pressing, all of that. I think he's a guy who almost his team at least, when they don't have a home crowd, that affects them more than some other teams because of the absolute right. So that that is that is a point to also make is that they don't have a home crowd. When they're playing in front in Florida, I mean, most of the fans are Orlando City fans.
1: Yeah, or they so, just walked in by accident because they thought it was the lineup for Space they, Mountain. They're not or, even
0: taking fans yeah. for their home game because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, they don't want non-TFC fans there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Colin saying in the chat excuses, sure, call them excuses because valid yes, excuses, don't, don't that are, excuses that are that are, yeah. But it is the reality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, before we wrap wrap up, uh, I did want to give a quick shout out to a massive, massive week in Canadian soccer, mm-hmm. Jonathan David. Of course, lifting that league, One title with Lille. Best game in a Lille shirt,
1: easily. He he was insane.
0: 13 times in his first season in France after what was a really rough start, Mm -hmm. um, including some clutch goals against sides like PSG. That tally is a record number for a Canadian in top five European leagues. So shout out Jonathan David and what he's done. Um, David also joins, you know, Jesse Fleming, uh, Milan Borean, Scott Arfield, Chloe Lacasse, Alfonso Davies, and of course, Atiba Hutchinson and Kyle Laren in terms of Canadians who won their respective leagues this season. So, damn. Quite, quite, quite a massive year. Monumental year mm-hmm. for Canadian soccer. Special, Too bad I can't buy a shirt. <laughs> Too bad you still can't buy a Canada soccer shirt, but what Unbelievable. an outstanding year for Canadian soccer. Groundbreaking. I can't even think of the right word that does all of this justice because in my lifetime like man growing up here i didn't think i'd see something like this at least not this early yeah and i think it's going to do wonders for the ripple effect of Canada soccer in terms of painting paving the way for the next guy for the next youngster that wants to go over we've seen it happening already with the united states we see it happen a bit already with canada and Mm -hmm. we're going to start hearing about more and more canadians abroad and that's the ultimate goal is getting canadians at the highest level getting them on the same level as some of the European clubs. And it'll also have a ripple down effect in terms of Canada on the international stage because they have some big games coming up and they're going to have some big players playing in those big games. So shout out Canada soccer yep. for what was will have a, It'll have a ripple here.
1: effect on on how high I hold myself walking around as a Canada uh, national team fan, right? I mean, we, we got some swagger now. This is great. Let's uh, Let's turn it into trophies that we can fill our case with.
0: There you go. All right, guys, on on that note, thank you, everyone, for for chiming in, tuning in. You guys were very lively today in the comments. Yeah,
1: we really, really like it. Always makes for a good show.
0: Yeah, thank you to our producer, uh, Sophie and Kevin. You guys do an awesome job, and thank you for bearing with us. Um, Jeff, amazing job today. We we miss Mitch, but I think he's getting his job
1: today. He's
0: getting his job, so that's all right. We'll give him a pass for this one. Um, and I think we did all right today, man. So Absolutely. thanks for hanging in there. And thanks again for the chat. You guys make this awesome. Thank you to our listeners who listen to this after as well. Um, please support us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you guys listen. Like, rate, subscribe. Um, but on that note, until next week, I guess. We'll, we'll see you guys later. And we'll, let's go uh, TFC against Columbus this Saturday.
1: Hopefully When's the next you know. TFC2 game, actually? I didn't download the schedule. Do you know offhand? Offhand,
0: I actually don't. Okay. So Everybody check there. Twitter. Sorry, I'm going to check
1: Twitter in 2 seconds so. There you we'll, go. We'll, we'll Cheers
0: everybody. Until next Cheers. week.
1: Wednesday. Wednesday. Someone said. <sighs>